0: This is Tailgate Till May, your place for year-round college sports talk. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm excited to be back for another episode to talk about what you care about most in the world of college sports. Today, I'm going to be diving into the SEC to take a look back at the 2022 season and the conference that just means more. But first, I'm going to tell you what I took away from the ACC spring meetings that occurred this week and all the chatter that came out of there. So if you've missed it, the big news in the college sports world this week was the reports out of ACC meetings that there are seven ACC schools who were examining the ACC's grant of rights agreement. Now, the ACC's grant of rights agreement essentially is what the school signed Uh, to sign over their television rights to the league. That led to the ACC's media rights deal, uh, 20-year media rights deal that the conference signed uh, with ESPN. Part of that was the creation of the ACC network, but it was a 20-year deal, and these conference members are locked into this grant of rights. They're locked into this media rights deal for a very long time. Uh, All all over the rest of the country, other conferences have been able to go back to the negotiating table and get more money and will go back again before the ACC deal is up in 2036. I mean, there's still 13 more years on this deal. And this has created a lot of consternation, especially among the big brands in the conference, the Florida States of the world, the Clemsons of the world. And so these schools, and I can I read the full list of seven schools for you, Clemson, Florida State, Miami, North Carolina, NC State, Virginia, and Virginia Tech uh, are the schools that have been meeting with lawyers to examine the grant of rights deal. And what that kind of leads you to believe is they're examining it because, you know, maybe they're going to challenge it. Maybe they're going to find a way to... Get out of the league. And that is what is holding the ACC together right now is the fact that these schools have signed over their media rights to the league. It seems very ironclad. If they were to leave, they'd have to pay a huge penalty to get out of it. And it doesn't seem it doesn't seem likely. But the news was that these schools are are taking a look at the deal and it has led everybody to believe they're taking a look at it because they might be trying to find a way to get out. And that's led to a lot of speculation about what's next for the league. Will the league fall apart? How stable is the league? Where might these teams go? It's also led to conversations down in Amelia Island around unequal revenue sharing. Should schools that perform better on the field, on the court, get more revenue? Should schools that perform better when it comes to viewership get more revenue? These are all the conversations that have been happening around these meetings and and this reporting, and it's May, and what else do we like to do in May other than talk about conference realignment and the future of the sport and what may happen next because there's no football, there's no basketball, there's a lot of great baseball going on right now, but this is what we like to do in May. So I don't want to talk today about where Virginia Tech may land, where North Carolina may land, how stable is the ACC, can it stay together, should it be together. I don't want to talk about any of that. I want to talk about the fact that it seems like all of these schools that are just looking for ways to add more and more revenue, make more and more money for their athletic departments, are really missing something key that I think has changed. And that's the fact that we now have a 12-team college football playoff. And I understand that if you're a school like Florida State, you look down the road in Gainesville and you see that your counterpart in the state, your counterpart in the SEC, your your rival, is making roughly $30 million more than you per year, and that goes into facilities, that goes into general operating budget, your ability to um, do certain things in your athletic department. I I get that, and I understand why you feel like that puts you at a disadvantage. I get that every additional dollar you have coming into your program is one less dollar that your donors have to give and can instead potentially be diverted to NIL and contributing to collectives, and attracting players to your school that way. I get all that, and I get why all these schools are striving for more, more, more money. But what I don't understand is why nobody has said, okay, we understand we are going to be making a little bit less money, but we have a significantly better chance of making a college ball playoff and building our brand, and maybe building the brand over the long term so you can earn more in TV rights and all the other things, all the other ways you can earn revenue when you have a big brand by making the college football playoff over and over again. Because, as you all know, I'm a Maryland fan. Maryland's now a member of the Big 12. or Sorry, the Big 10, rather. Maryland is a member of the Big 10. And in a 12-team playoff, even in a 12-team playoff, Maryland is not going to make the playoff. I will never see Maryland make a 12-team playoff under this current structure, under this current setup of the sport, as long as things stay relatively the same. Because Maryland is never going to have a year where they are better than Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, USC, and then name five mid-tier big schools like Iowa, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Minnesota, Michigan State. There's never going to be a year where Maryland is better than all of those schools. And probably not a year where Maryland is better than even 14 of those 16 schools. Even if the Big Ten got three bids, I don't ever see a way for Maryland to get one of those three under this current format, under this current structure, the way this sport is set up right now. But if you're in the Big 12, if you're in the new Pac 12, Oregon State could make a college football playoff. Oregon State could make a college football playoff two years from now. In a 10 team Pac 12 without USC and UCLA, Oregon State could go to the college football playoff. Now, what's more beneficial in building your brand long term? making college ball playoffs, winning conference championships, competing on the biggest stage, or getting paychecks to take losses. Because schools like Maryland and Rutgers and Vanderbilt, and even take it up a tier, schools like Mississippi State, Ole Miss, in the Big Ten, You know, everybody has tradition. Everybody wants to win. But you take a look at a school, like even Minnesota, who has a a tradition, who has has a great history there, and somebody has to take these losses. Illinois, Illinois, really good example in the Big Ten, coming off a great year. But somebody has to take these losses when you start building 16-team conferences maybe 18-team, 20-team conferences, somebody is going to have to take these losses. So I get in the short term this allure of we need to go get more money. I understand that the ACC has a roughly $30 million revenue gap per school when compared to Big Ten and SEC schools, and I understand why that's a problem for schools like Virginia Tech and Clemson and Florida State and why they want to close that gap. However, I think some of these schools are potentially kind of missing the forest through the trees here. Because over time, if we take a little bit more of a long view, Virginia Tech can better build its brand, build its identity, have success by continuing to play and stay in the ACC. If Maryland was still in the ACC, I promise you, I would not be saying right now there is no chance Maryland will ever play in a 12-team playoff. And you know why? Because I've seen Maryland win the ACC. I've only seen it once, and it was a long time ago. It was over 20 years ago at this point. It wasn't exactly the same ACC. Clemson wasn't the Clemson that we know today. But you know what? Florida State was that team at that time. Clemson was still a strong program, and Maryland won the ACC. What happens to NC State if they were to somehow find themselves in the SEC? What happens to Virginia if they were to somehow find themselves in the SEC? Yes, they might be getting $30 million extra per year, but how does it turn out on the field? At best, they're the Mississippi schools. absolute best. Virginia is a football program, I, I consider Virginia as a football program very, very comparable to Maryland. The last time Virginia football won double-digit games was 1989, 34 years ago. That's the last time Virginia football won double-digit games. How does that play if Virginia goes into the SEC, if they found their way into the SEC? is that extra $30 million, what is it helping you do? What is it achieving? Because in an 18-team SEC, a 20-team SEC, you're still going to be 16, 17, 18 out of 20. That's better for $30 million more million than having a chance to make the playoff out of the ACC? And I know if we know anything about this country, it's that money is going to win out at the end of the day. Money is what drives everything in our society. Money is what drives everything in this country. Money, everybody is chasing money. But I encourage all of these schools, all of these ADs, all of these decision makers at these universities, take a step back. And think about it. Really think about it. Not just for the duration of the time you are going to be at that university. But for the next 20 years, the next 30 years, the next 50 years. Think about what your constituents would want. What the fans of these programs, the graduates of these universities would want. Because I can guarantee you, most people don't care how much money their school's athletic department is bringing in. They only care about it if it actually translates to wins and losses. And I can guarantee you fans would rather have their team compete for a conference title, win a conference title, go to the college football playoff once every five, even 10 years, than consistently finish... 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, in a 20 team super conference while making 20 million extra dollars a year. It just doesn't play with fans. And if we take a long view here, I think everyone would be able to see that the best interest of schools like Virginia, like NC State, like Virginia Tech is to stay make things work, and build your brand by consistently performing on the field within your conference. And then we can have a conversation. If you are consistently getting to the 12-team playoff and not able to compete, then yes, that's a different conversation that needs to be had. But until that point, just think think about whether you would rather have a real opportunity to make the playoff or whether you would rather have an extra $30 million a year. Because I know what I would choose and I know what most fans would choose. So decision makers out there, that's what I'm asking you. Take a look at the broader view. Think about more than just the next two or three years or even the five to seven years that you will be in this job. Be a steward of your athletic department, of your university, and think about what your fan base truly values think about what college sports means to them think about what those traditions mean to them think about what false saturdays mean to them and i, I it's not about getting the extra 30 mil to go two and ten or go four and eight i know what drives our society i know what drives business. But if you look at it a little bit differently, I think there's an alternative path there. And that's what I would encourage everyone to do. Okay, enough with the conference realignment talk, enough with the meetings. Let's actually look at some ball. We're getting closer day by day to talking about some real college football here and for now, we're going to look backwards at the season that was the 2022 season in the SEC. This is our last conference. We've been kind of slowly moving our way through this, going league to league. And we're going to end it with the SEC. Then after this, we've got a fun summer ahead. We'll take a look at some bigger picture topics before we then get back into those conference previews and really dive in to the 2023 season. You guys listening to the show, you know me. You know I'm a gambler. I love gambling. Uh, It's one of my favorite hobbies is is sports gambling. And we've seen some college ball win totals coming out from some of the books. So I'm excited to dive into those soon. Kind of formulating my thoughts there. Got some early takes. Not ready to put them all out yet. But that'll be coming up this summer for sure. Doing my research uh, and getting my opinions ready on those. But let's dive right in to the year that was in the SEC. So overall, I give the SEC a B-plus for the year. Of course, they had the national champion in Georgia, the two-time national champion, Georgia Bulldogs. They finished with six teams in the AP Top 25, three in the Top 10. They finished with eight teams in the SP Plus Top 25, and three in that Top 10. Eight of the 14 teams in the league overachieved their preseason SP+, plus, while six underachieved. I give this league this uh, the same grade that I gave the Pac-12 a B+, plus for the complete opposite reasons. The SEC had the most complete, most dominant team in the league this year. However, it felt like they ran away from the rest of the league, and I didn't find it nearly as compelling. If you were to ask me, like, would I rather flip on a random Pac-12 game or a random SEC game during last season? It was going to be the Pac-12 game. It was going to be Washington, Oregon, USC, Utah. I found those to be more intriguing games than Georgia-Florida, for example, than Alabama-Ole Miss. I found those, those Pac-12 games to be much more intriguing because Georgia was so clearly head and shoulders above the rest of the league. So I couldn't give the Pac-12 an A because they had no teams in the college ball playoff, but I also felt like despite having Georgia, despite having the clear-cut best team in the league, I couldn't give the, or in the nation, I couldn't give the SEC an A because the rest of the league just felt lackluster to me. They're a good team, certainly. Bryce Young is an amazing quarterback. I loved watching Bryce Young play. Uh, He's a great player, and Alabama was a very good team. However, it just felt like a one-team league all season with nobody to truly challenge them, and that, to me, means that it wasn't a league that I enjoyed watching week in and week out, and why I couldn't give them an A. I had to give them a B plus, But nonetheless, a B plus, still a good grade. So let's go into our categories here. And I got some different categories this week because I think some of these teams deserve very specific categories. And we gotta start with the Georgia Bulldogs. And they are in the full bellies, it's time for a nap category. They are. They ate, they ate twice, they ate back-to-back big meals at national championship games, and now they're ready for a nap. They're feeling good, they're relaxing. They're like Bulldogs just laying out in the sun. They're sunbathing, sleeping, dreaming about those national championships. And it's well-deserved. Georgia is a dynasty. Georgia is the best program in college football right now. There is nothing negative I can say about Georgia. Georgia has a great chance to win a third national championship this year. The talent level in that program is not going down at all. They're putting a ton of players in the NFL. They're winning on the field. And in college, they're winning, and it, it seems like they're gonna stay that way for a very, very, very long time. Georgia, full bellies, time for a nap, enjoy it, Bulldogs. My next category here are teams that are happy with the results of last year, but also hungry for more. And I got four teams in this category. I'm gonna start with the SEC West champion, LSU Tigers. SEC, uh, LSU wins the SEC West. Beats Alabama in Brian Kelly's first year on the job. A great start for the LSU Tigers. I think it's as about about as well as anybody could have expected year one to go, given kind of the disaster really that had ensued after LSU won that 2019 national championship, where they went 15 and 0, maybe the best college ball offense of all time they proceed to go 11 and 12 over the the following two years in 2020 and 2021. Ed Orgeron's out, Brian Kelly's in. They come in, they win the West, beat Alabama and lose to Georgia in the SEC Championship game, but Brian Kelly very clearly has things organized and going in the right direction. After you know that first year at LSU, they should be the favorites to win the SEC West this year. I think they're happy with how things went down there, but this is LSU. The expectation is essentially you win a national championship. The last three coaches, Ed Orgeron, Les Miles, and Nick Saban, have all won national championships. That's why Brian Kelly came here, and that's the expectation is that he should win a national championship while he's here but I think LSU fans are very happy with how everything went in that first year. They have high expectations for this year. I think they're expecting college ball playoff, if not college ball playoff at at a bare minimum, winning the SEC West again and probably playing Georgia tighter this time in the SEC championship game. Uh, So happy, but they definitely want more because it is LSU. The next team I have on this list is Tennessee. Tennessee was one of the best stories of this past college football season. One of the defining moments for me of that college football season was Tennessee finally beating Alabama and that scene where everybody was rushing the field at Tennessee. Uh, He had that sunset in the background, uh, just a great moment for that Tennessee program for the sport and, and one of the defining moments to me of the season Tennessee finishes the season 11-2. and two. They were dismantled by Georgia when they played. That was a game where I bet on Tennessee. I thought good offense was going to beat good defense, and it wasn't even close. But Tennessee finishes in the top 10 in the AP poll. The first time they finished in the top 10 since 2001. Great year for Tennessee. But just like at any SEC program, the question now becomes, can you catch Georgia? What is Josh Heupel going to be able to do to sustain this and then take it to another level to compete with Georgia and Alabama? Because you have Alabama as your biggest rival, essentially. I think that's fair to say for Tennessee, Alabama is their biggest rival. Alabama or Tennessee is not Alabama's biggest rival, but I think Alabama is Tennessee's biggest rival. And then in the division. You have the team that is the best team, best program in college football. So what does Tennessee do for an encore? What does Josh Heupel do for an encore? Hendon Hooker's gone. Joe Milton's in at quarterback. He had a really nice orange bowl, uh, has a huge arm. And I think a lot of people are excited to see what he brings to the table at quarterback in 2023 here. And uh, does that offense just keep humming along? And how does Tennessee step its game up to even another level? So Tennessee fans, ecstatic, beating Alabama for the first time in forever, finishing in the top 10 for the first time in forever, having unbelievable moments and memories from that season. But it's the SEC, and you're always chasing someone. So happy but hungry for more. South Carolina, a team on a very different tier than either of the two I just mentioned then either Tennessee or LSU South Carolina finished eight and five last season they did finish the season ranked at number 23 and I just feel like there's a lot of momentum and excitement around what Shane Beamer is doing there at South Carolina uh the exception in the history of South Carolina are those 3 years where Steve Spurrier went 11 and 2 in 2011, 2012 and 2013. Those are the exceptions. Those are that is not the rule. That is not what has is the the expectation at South Carolina. You just look at the last couple of years before Shane Beamer took over, Will Muschamp went 2 and 8, 4 and 8. Seven and six. And when I say I should clarify, Mike Bobo coached those last three games of the twenty twenty season. So South Carolina went two and eight. Will Muschamp went two and five and was fired midseason at a time when nobody thought we were going to be firing coaches in that 2020 college football season. South Carolina did. Can Will Muschamp. And now Beamer's gone seven and six and eight and five. Uh, gotten to bowl games in back-to-back years. Soon to be building momentum on the recruiting trail, but I don't know. I think for me, I think a reasonable expectation for South Carolina is kind of consistently winning seven to eight games. And then once every five to six years, five years, once a cycle, essentially, you kind of can step up and challenge for double-digit wins, challenge for the SEC East. But I don't think expecting any more than that is reasonable. Uh, so I think South Carolina fans are very happy with what Shane Beamer's done these first couple years. I think they're very happy with the recruiting and upping the talent level. Uh, it's a big year coming up in two thousand and three. Spencer Rattler is back um you know he he had his moments, but Spencer Rattler is' an, still a fairly inconsistent quarterback, and um can he take his game to the next level? In twenty twenty three. That remains to be seen. If he can, you know, South Carolina might be in for, for a pretty good year, and maybe they can up that they can improve again from seven to eight to nine wins. Uh so South Carolina, I-, I think, happy with that, but wanting a little bit more as well. The last team on this list is a team that is definitely not like the others, and that's Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt went five and seven. They did not make a bowl game, but they are ecstatic with what clark lee has going on down there i think their season win total going into the last season it was either two and a half or three it was either two and a half or three and they absolutely blew that out of the water with those five wins i think they started the year i i think they got that third win yeah by september they, they started the year three and one um and I think it the over was two and a half, and they hit that over by September seventeenth. And you know they had their share of blowouts, like you're gonna have in the SEC if you're Vanderbilt. They lost fifty five to three to Alabama. They lost fifty five to nothing to Georgia, but they beat Kentucky and they beat Florida. Are you kidding me? Beating Kentucky and Florida in the same year, huge accomplishment for that program. And I, I really think realistically, the only thing Vanderbilt fans could want that they didn't get last year was a bowl was a bowl game appearance so I, i struggled with where to really put vanderbilt in these categories they don't quite fit here because like i think they just want a little teeny tiny bit more um but they do want a little bit more so that's where i'm putting them then gonna go to a little bit more the negative end of the spectrum my next category is disappointed with last season's results but generally satisfied. So I'm not too negative, you know, not the best year, not the worst year, but general and generally satisfied with where they are. And I think Kentucky is the program that kind of fits squarely in this. Kentucky 7 and 6 last year, a really up and down year, not quite to the level that they had achieved in the previous years going 10 and 3 in 2021 going 10 and 3 in 2018 they would kind of become a program that was starting to win 10 games on a fairly regular basis um, and last year was not the year a disappointing year for the kentucky wildcats but i i, I don't i I'd struggle to find any kentucky fan that is like okay things are really wrong here and we got to get we gotta make major changes to get things figured out. I think they are still generally very happy with the state of that program and and what's going on. My next team on this list in this category is Ole Miss. And they're kind of a weird team last year because they started off the year very hot. They had a little bit of a weak schedule, but they were very hot to start the year started 7-0, but really their best win in that stretch was Kentucky, a team that I just said was disappointed in their results, underachieved a little bit. (laughs) I'm just looking at the 7-0 start, and I see at least two teams in Georgia Tech and Auburn that fired their coaches last season. So 7-0, and then... Things started to get a little harder schedule-wise. Went on the road to LSU and lost. Uh, they squeaked one out against Texas A&M. And then they lost four in a row to end the season against Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Texas Tech in the Texas Bowl. And I think it's it was a win for Ole Miss fans that they kept Lane Kiffin, that Lane Kiffin didn't end up going to to Auburn. Uh, Ole Miss, to me, is a program, like, it's Ole Miss is not, Alabama Ole Miss is not Auburn they're not a school that's going to be competing for national championships year in and year out so I eight wins I mean it's still a, a good year for them getting up to number seven in the AP poll is a good year for them starting seven and oh is a good year for them but it's always disappointing to lose that many games in a row especially at the end of the year but I think Ole Miss fans are generally happy that Lane Kiffin has stuck around He's still their head coach. And they're generally happy with the way he's performed over his first couple years there. All right. Now we get into some, some teams that, that did not have good years or are feeling generally very anxious about the future. Uh, and I'm going to start with this category, which teams that are, were disappointed in last year's results but excited about the future. There's only one team here. And that's auburn. Auburn had a terrible year. The Brian Harson era was a failure basically from the jump and it's over. They rallied a little bit. Cadillac Williams is the interim coach. Uh they rallied, they played hard, they went 2 and 2 under Cadillac Williams. I really was hoping that they would make a bowl so I could bet on them in a bowl game cuz that seemed like a team that was going to definitely play hard and, and give it their all in a bowl game. Unfortunately, they didn't. They fell just short of 5 and 7. And then they hire Hugh Freeze. And there is so much to say about Hugh Freeze and his past and his, the things he did at Ole Miss and, and Liberty. And you can debate, certainly, whether he should be coaching college football at all or coaching in the SEC again. But he is. Uh, he's in Auburn. He's the head coach of the Auburn Tigers now. And he is a guy who has beaten Alabama while he was at Ole Miss, that is really his claim to fame, is consistently beating Alabama and recruiting really well while he was at Ole Miss. And I say claim to fame, I mean on the football field. That is his claim to fame. So I think there are certainly Auburn fans that are excited about what Hugh Freeze can bring to the table. I think there's plenty of people that are skeptical and worried and don't love Hugh Freeze representing them or their football program. But I think there's also a lot of people that are curious, well, he did this at Ole Miss. What can he do now that he's at Auburn? So that's kind of where Auburn stands after last year and heading into the 2023 season. And the Auburn quarterback battle is what I'm going to be really interested to watch. They just landed Michigan State transfer Peyton Thorne. Uh, They bring back Robbie Ashford, and they they seem to be recruiting Casey Thompson, former Nebraska quarterback. I believe he visited there, and it seems like Auburn decided they would rather have Peyton Thorne over Casey Thompson. I'm not really sure why, to be honest with you it seemed like Casey Thompson would be the better fit. I thought Casey Thompson was the better quarterback. I thought he had a very good year in a tough season at Nebraska last year, and I thought he'd fit better what we've seen Hugh Freeze do in the past. Uh, But that's not the direction they went. I'm not sure why. They have Peyton Thorne. They have Robbie Ashford. In this day and age of college football, I I feel like every school plays at least two quarterbacks because of, I I mean, just there's so many injuries. and. I feel like you need that depth, so I won't be surprised at all if we see both of both of those guys at various points throughout the year, even if it's just you know for a half. Um, one of them is out. Uh, that that's just it's kind of how it goes, and why depth is so important. So that's where Auburn stands. Then we get into this anxious category, and nobody could lead off this anxious list. This. Feeling all offseason of anxiety, of we don't know where we stand in our league, or we don't know where we stand in the sport, or what's going to happen next. Nobody could lead this list off other than Alabama because Alabama feels like they just got their corner stolen by Georgia. They were the big bully in the SEC, they were the big bully nationally, they were the dynasty. And Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs have absolutely taken that from them. And 99% of other college football programs would trade places with Alabama. But Alabama has to take down Georgia. They are now hunting Georgia. Georgia is the hunted. Alabama is the hunty. And there's a lot of anxiety about that. There's a lot of anxiety about who's going to play quarterback in Tuscaloosa this season. They brought in Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame. Tyler Buckner is a guy from Notre Dame who not necessarily the most impressive quarterback. And he's now coming into Alabama and is maybe going to compete with Jalen Milrow for that job. And they don't have a Bryce Young on that roster right now. Bryce Young covered up a lot of flaws with that Alabama football team last season because he was just that good. And now they don't have him. So there's a lot of anxiety about what's going to happen next with Alabama. Believe it or not, they have to be the most anxious team in this conference, if not the country. Probably them and Ohio State as the two most anxious teams in the country. Florida is my next team in this anxious category. And you know what? Forget that. We'll go to the Gators next. Texas A&M has to be the second most anxious team because, man, we have talked about that ad nauseum. But what an awful year for the Texas A&M Aggies. I mean, they brought in Jimbo Fisher to win the SEC, to compete for the college football playoff, to compete for national championships. And going five and seven was not part of that plan. Especially a year after getting the number one recruiting class in the country uh, and having a kind of a two year war of words with Nick Saban. After finally beating Alabama in 2021, the Aggies just fell flat on their face. And the offense looked terrible, it looked old. It looked like whatever the opposite of innovative is, stale, rusty, traditional. And A&M fans are freaking out, right? rightfully so. And now you're going to have a situation where Bobby Petrino is coming in as the offensive coordinator. And I think anxiety, I mean, Texas A&M, as anxious as Alabama is, they're right there, neck and neck. So fine, give me Alabama, Ohio State, and Texas A&M right there at the top as most anxious teams in the country. Next is the Florida Gators. I started with them, a one to go to, to A&M first. Realized Alabama and A&M had to be 1-2 there. But Florida, Florida is not without anxiety. Billy Napier, I think he's just entering his second season. Believe it or not, it is just going to be Billy Napier's second season at Florida. Yeah, and he is already a guy who I I think Florida coaches are like, or Florida fans, rather, are like, okay, here we go again. Because since Steve Spurrier left Florida, they have had just this rotating door of guys, and save for the Urban Meyer years, obviously, where they were winning national championships, it hasn't gone extraordinarily well whether it was Ron Zook or Will Muschamp, Jim McElwain, Dan Mullen. uh, There's been a lot of guys who have coached there. They haven't lasted very long, and they haven't done great. And Billy Napier going six and seven in his first year and having Anthony Richardson on the roster, a guy who ends up being a first-round NFL draft pick, but who was very inconsistent. He showed great flashes. He had highlight reel moments, but... Still, they only managed to go 6-7. and Uh, I think there's some some worry and anxiety there in Gainesville. And Billy Napier tried to tell everybody it was going to be a slow build. But that doesn't always work in the SEC. You can say it all you want, but the SEC expectations are SEC expectations, and especially at a school like Florida. And now they go into 2023 with Graham Mertz, Wisconsin transfer Graham Mertz, as their projected starting quarterback. And I, I don't think a lot of people are feeling great about what the Gators can do this season. So they're they're anxious as can be. Last team on the list here, and I struggled with where to put them, but I ultimately put them in this anxious category is Arkansas. So Arkansas had been a really fun story with Sam Pittman coming in as the head coach. They have a fantastic year in Pittman's second season in 2021 high expectations coming into last year uh the 2022 season and and i would say they fell short they they went seven and six but it's not like they lost a ton of games like you look at their you look at their schedule and there was two games that they lost that are are very disappointing and it probably changes the perspective on their season they lose to liberty and they lose to Missouri. They win those two games and they're 9 and they're 9 and 4. That's a different season. They go, you know, 8 and 4 in the regular season. I think things feel different, especially bringing quarterback KJ Jefferson back for another year in 2023, a guy who's at the top or kind of second in most SEC quarterback ranking list for the, for the year ahead. You, bring, you have that happen. You win those games. You take care of business there. I think things feel a little bit differently. Um, but nevertheless, they didn't. The offense wasn't their problem last year. It was defense. Their defense was not very good, and look no further than their Liberty Bowl win over Kansas, where they won 55-53. to It was an absolute shootout, and the defense needs to be better. I think there's some anxiety as well because Kendall offensive coordinator, Kendall Bryles leaves, goes to TCU to become their offensive coordinator and they replace him with Maryland offensive coordinator, Dan Enos, a guy who was there at Arkansas before when Brett Bielema was the head coach. And I don't know how excited Arkansas fans are about that. Um, So I think there's some anxiety at Arkansas, I also think there's some existential anxiety at Arkansas about how high can we really go. And it goes back to my point that I started this show with, talking about the ACC, talking about Virginia Tech, talking about NC State. Look, Arkansas in the SEC has a ceiling. I bet if you asked Arkansas fans right now whether they would prefer to be in the Big 12 or the SEC, I bet you a lot of them would choose the Big 12 with a chance to make the college ball playoff probably every couple years. I think that's a lot would be a lot more appealing to a lot of Arkansas fans than playing in this league that you know they've been in for close to 30 years now. I think it was 92 when Arkansas joined the SEC. But still, they don't have 70, 80 years of history here. And uh, it was in 1991, July 1991, Arkansas joined the SEC. So over 30 years, they've been in the league. But there's not 80 years of history there. And I think there's a ceiling in the SEC, a ceiling that they wouldn't have if they had gone from the Southwestern Conference to the Big 12, like some of their counterparts in the Southwestern Conference. Um, So, I don't know. I I think there's just this kind of existential dread always around Arkansas, and it's like, okay, we had a great year, but how how high can we really go? What is the ceiling for our program? Sam Pittman's done a great job there. K.J. Jefferson is a fun quarterback to watch, an exciting quarterback to watch. Uh, one of the quarterbacks that I said is at the top of most of these watch lists for, you know, top of the league next year. Uh, But I think there's some anxiety in terms of, okay, uh, can we get back to, can we return to a nine-win season, or are we going to be, is this really where we're at now, and hopefully we're not going to drop off further next year or in, in the years ahead. So I think there's some anxiety there at Arkansas. The last team that I want to talk about was Mississippi State. And I, I couldn't categorize them because I think they're in a position unlike any other team. Uh, obviously, Mike Leach tragically passed away last year uh, before their bowl game. And um, they are now led by Zach Arnett, the defensive coordinator, and it's just a former defensive coordinator, now head coach, but he was the defensive coordinator under Leach. Uh, he was the interim head coach, then was given the full-time job. And it's just so hard to really talk about that year and, and look up, look at that year and then spin it forward, giving, given everything that happened and given that, that Leach passed away and is no longer with us and leading this football program. And M- Mike Leach was such a unique character such a unique guy that, really his identity was almost one in the same as the football program's identity. And it looks like Zach Arnett uh, is going to go away from the air raid to some extent. And um, I, I have more questions than answers about what's next for Mississippi State and what they can accomplish. I mean, Arnett's a young guy, he's a young coach, Um, and I, he he stepped into a really difficult situation and, you know, we'll see what happens in 2023. So I just couldn't categorize Mississippi state because they had a, they had a good year last year. They went nine and four, they went eight and four in the regular season. They won that bowl game under our net after the passing of Leach. Um, they returned Will Rogers at quarterback for another year, but everything has changed and it's changed in a tragic way where the active head coach passed away um and that's why a, a coaching change was was forced so hard to categorize them and hard to kind of put them in a bucket there to be something to watch in 2023 and see how Zach Arnett kind of continues to lead that program going forward and and see what changes um you know, what he takes from his time coaching under Mike Leach and where that Mississippi State Bulldog program goes moving forward. So that's it. That's our SEC season in review. That is all of our Power Five Conference season in reviews. We've kind of made our way there slowly over the past couple months. Uh, But I'm glad I did it. It was a lot of fun. Good to look back and see what we can take moving forward. Over the next couple of months, it's going to be all about moving forward. It's going to be all about looking ahead to 2023 because we're approaching Memorial Day here. So we got Memorial, Memorial Day, July 4th, Labor Day. So we're three holidays away. Well, depends how you count. Two holidays away from the kickoff of college football season. Uh, got to get through these two holidays. Not got to get through them. Got to have fun. Got to celebrate them. But you kind of start looking at the calendar. That's kind of how I look at it is like we got these two holidays and then we got to what to me is the best holiday of them all, college ball kickoff weekend. A holiday unlike any other and um we're going to start looking ahead, start looking at those season win totals, start doing previews, maybe do some rankings of position positions throughout the country, players and position groups and, you know, maybe a, a coaches. I don't know. I don't know exactly what we have in store yet, but we are going to be talking college football. We're going to be talking college basketball. I hope to talk a little baseball here over the next few weeks with the tournament tournament coming up. I'm watching a ton of college baseball right now. I find it, I find it riveting, uh, but we're going to be talking all of that because that's what we do here. This is your place for year-round college sports talk. It's tailgate till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie. Can't wait to talk to you again next week. And until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block.